Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. On our 16th episode, I'm going to forego the typically lengthy explanatory intro that I know that you're used to, because today we have a special guest, someone who is not currently a resident of Arkansas, but is a native of the state and is now making big splashes in another state, Nevada, which I only recently learned is not pronounced Nevada, nor is it pronounced like the county in Arkansas, Nevada County. They're all different. So our guest today is my good friend and colleague, Suzanne Bierman, who is the administrator of the Nevada Department of Health and Human Services Division of Healthcare Financing and Policy. And prior to that, she was uh, director of health policy, sounds like a familiar title that I know, uh, with the Gwen Center for Policy Priorities, which is an organization not unlike the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. And before that, she was assistant director uh, in the Division of Medical Services, which administers Medicaid here in Arkansas at the Department of Human Services. She is a fellow lawyer and obtained her Juris Doctorate from UALR Bowen School of Law and her Master's in Public Health from the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences College of Public Health. So welcome to the show, Suzanne, and thank you so much for joining us while you're in town. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. It's such a pleasure to be back in Arkansas and to have the opportunity to chat with you today. All right. So before we get to the more serious stuff, which we're going to get to, what do you enjoy most about your leisure time in your new location in Nevada? And now that you're spending some time here, what what do you miss most about being in Arkansas? Yeah, well, that's a really great question and something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And it's really, um, I think this country has so many beautiful and diverse landscapes and definitely um, the juxtaposition of Arkansas and Nevada, you can see that. So um, I've been enjoying getting to know the desert and missing thunderstorms. And I never Ah. thought I would say rain, but sometimes I miss the rain. Um, And I've... uh, been a gardener when I lived in Arkansas, and adapting to desert gardening has definitely oh, gosh. had some challenges. When can you grow? You, some people grow all sorts of things. Um, I would say I haven't had a lot of luck with vegetables, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to stick to like succulents and yeah. things that are supposed to grow in the desert for now. But there are some um, more experienced and adventurous gardeners out west that are able to grow all sorts of things. Huh. So maybe um, I'll get there one day. But I'm also really enjoying um, just exploring and traveling. Yeah. And I live in Las Vegas. And one of the things that I love about that is that it's kind of the jumping off point for so much um, of the exploration of the West. It's yeah. within a three hour or four hour drive of beaches, Grand yeah. Canyon, you know, completely different landscapes. And Temperatures, which this time yeah. of year is very welcome. So um, just really getting to know a new environment and getting to see some of the West has been really fun. Yeah, it's a very, di- I mean, the, 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 the scale of what you see, and I've, I've, I've only been on the road uh, from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and the differences in the climate there are just Yeah, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, within a, three or four hours. But I definitely miss uh, 
everything being so lush and green and yeah. verdant, which comes along with the rain, of course. And um, the mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes. We don't have those. <laughs> I don't miss those. Um, it's been good, though. All right. So I asked this of, of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song? So I was thinking about this one, and um, it might be obscure. It's a song called New Song by the Australian songwriter Ben Lee, something that I listen to. Oh, I do know Ben Lee. Yeah. I actually do know Ben Lee. Uh, So about the same time that we were both in college, I was a big Ben Lee fan, and he had a record called Something to Remember Me By, and there's a song on that album called New Song, not particularly creative title, but um, it has this mantra of, I'm going to make it through, and I'm going to do it all. Make it through, and I'm going to do it all. And at least aspirationally, um, I try to remind myself of that. And my college roommate, uh, it was a little bit of a mantra for us. And she made me like a little flashcard that said yeah. that. And I carried yeah. it around. I don't have that anymore, but <laughs> I still keep it in mind. And I think that would be as close as I have to I don't think song. I had that album, but I did have a, I think I had a single uh, of his. Um, I don't know, it may have been just a short EP or something Yeah. Um, that I had while I was in law school. He and Ben Queller. Uh, we're playing it about the same time, so I would listen to both of the Bens, yeah. along with Ben Folds, of course. Oh, of so, course. Yeah. I haven't kept track. I don't know what he's doing these days. <laughs> I'm, but... I'm lost these days. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so tell me a little bit about your work at the Nevada Department of Health and Human Services. So I have the administrator their role for the Division of Healthcare Financing and Policy. So all that title is the very long version of Nevada's Medicaid director. Okay, okay. So um, that's an agency of about 300 employees. So I do much more, um, you know, personnel and HR and budgetary work than I did previously in Arkansas. Um, But it's just been uh, the honor of a lifetime and a challenge. And one of the things that we always say uh, in Medicaid is, well, it's never boring. No matter what, it's never boring and no day's the same. (laughs) Um, So just really enjoying and thankful for the opportunity to still get to work on healthcare issues and, you know, particularly um, the Medicaid population and expanding access and yeah. healthcare coverage to um, a population in need. So that's been really great. It's a, you know, kind of a combination of doing the things you have to to keep the trains on the track yeah. and then some of the more fun and exciting innovation. The policy stuff. Yeah, exactly, which is what we both love. But you got to do a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Okay. So now that you, we, you've experienced both, in Arkansas and, and Nevada, and I'm sure, you know, much like myself, you've seen Medicaid programs in, in many other states. So tell me a little bit about some of the differences between Nevada's program and Arkansas's program. So it's a really great question. And Medicaid, of course, is jointly administered by the federal and state government. So there's uh, this old adage, which I half completely agree with and half don't, which is that if you've seen one state's Medicaid program, you've seen one state's Medicaid program. Um, But the underlying framework in a lot of ways is the same um, due to that federal state nature of the program. Um, But there certainly is a lot of room for variety and variance between states, things like eligibility, benefits covered, um, delivery models, that sort of thing. Um, So I would say some of the Biggest differences would be, um, one, a service delivery model. Nevada is a 
pretty highly managed care state. Arkansas, at least during the time I was here, wasn't at, at all. all. And I think, you know, has some toes in the water and is going yeah. uh, a little more in that direction. But that would certainly be um, one big difference. And then kind of thinking even outside of the Medicaid program, just kind of like healthcare system wide, um, some really interesting compare contrast. Um, if you look at the, the national rankings, Commonwealth health uh-huh. systems, report cards, those sorts of things. Um, unfortunately, Nevada and Arkansas are pretty close to together in most of those and pretty far down the list. But it's been fascinating to me as a native Arkansan who now works in Nevada to see where and why. And they're really for different reasons. Um, So Arkansas, of course, has a lot more to do with um, some of the chronic health conditions and Mm -hmm. challenges where Nevada's largely a newer state. And some of their um, challenges have more to do with existing healthcare infrastructure, access to providers, their um, health professional shortage areas in almost all parts of the state. Yeah, it's it's a state where where the the counties just enormous? Yeah, there's 17 counties in Nevada compared See, to the 75 the of Arkansas, yeah, which wow. I'm really used to. And I also, growing up here, thought, like, I know what rural America is. And yeah. then I went to Nevada, which is either extremely urban, Clark County, uh-huh. um, which is where the vast majority of the population lives. That's where Las Vegas is. And then there is um, a northern county um, a little area with Reno, Carson City, uh-huh. um, and Washoe County, which is the other population center. But um, about 70% of the state's population lives in Clark County. You know, the remaining wow. 20% is up in that northern area, and then 10% in this just enormous swath of land, yeah. um, which is largely federal land, too. Uh, so, okay. um it's not the same as the rural counties of Arkansas. A it's, different type of rural. It is a right? different type of rural <laughs> that I was not prepared for. I was like, whoa. Okay, this so. This is different. Uh, so um, one of the things I absolutely wanted to talk to you about today, Nevada just became the second state uh, with a public option law on the books. So tell us about what that means. How's it going to operate? How does it differ from some of the other public option proposals and and what's the timeline? Great a lot question. of questions. Yeah, a lot. And I'm really excited to talk about it today, and particularly with you, Craig, because I think you probably have more history and understanding of how these things fold out than than most. Um, so Nevada's legislative session ended on June 1st. This bill um, was passed near the end of session and mm-hmm. you know signed by the governor and the beginning of June. So still pretty new. And it's the second shot at this, right? There was um, a... Maybe. Was there a first shot, I believe, and then it was vetoed by the governor, and so they came back with kind of a different version of it? That's right. And there was a session in between, too, where they did what's called a Senate concurrent resolution to study it. So there was okay. kind of an interim study. There was the veto, an interim study session period, and now um, the bill that ultimately passed. Which is good. We know that's a great political tactic to inform more people and get more involvement so you get more people on board. and Right. And, yeah. you know, to more thoroughly study yeah. and look into the issue. So that is kind of the, the um, legislative timeline. Um, so the, the legislation, you know, is really focused on improving coverage and access to health care, you know, at the highest, most right. broad level um, and uh, requires a couple of things. Um, submission of a 1332 state innovation waiver. Um, this will also sound familiar <laughs> in that there has to be a lot of coordination and collaboration between the HHS and Medicaid agencies, right. the Department of Insurance oh, yeah. and um, the exchange. Who all speak a different language. Right. So, uh, 
Except now that you're in the seat, in the Medicaid director's seat, right? You know that language. It feels a little bit like deja vu. So it's really interesting to think about how it's the same and how it's different. Um, But the implementation timeline is for 2026. One of the things about the bill is that... um, It seeks to leverage the state's purchasing power by aligning the um, procurement of the state's managed care products um, in concert with the public option. So they align the timelines with our next managed care procurement cycle, which will be in 2026. So have a good deal of lead up time. And as you know, a lot of um, the details are uh, worked out in that implementation process, negotiating waivers with CMS and the Treasury. So um, definitely have... Um, the legislative intent and a framework for how this is going to work. But, of course, a lot of the, the details um, come out through that process of working on the implementation. And, and, the, and the, the kind of the blocking and tackling of it, right, is that it provides uh, people who otherwise aren't eligible for Medicaid, right, kind of on the lower end of the spectrum and really up into higher income ranges, the option to perhaps have a more affordable public option um, compared to some of the other private insurance uh, options in the in the marketplace, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. It will be a qualified health plan yeah. um, available both on and off the exchange. Um, and the idea really is that it will be a more affordable option. Um, there's some language in the bill that says it's available to all natural citizens, I believe is the term of art. Hmm. So I think there's some possibility that a Medicaid enrollee could end up in there, but um, certainly it would be um, not like the Arkansas version where there's premium assistance and um, using Medicaid dollars to fund that. So I think, you know, as a practical matter, that's not likely, but um, Nevada has um, still, even though it's a Medicaid expansion state, a really high rate of remaining uninsured. Um, I think it's something like the second highest of all Medicaid expansion states and um, pretty high up there when you look across the country. So definitely um, a lot of challenges for Nevadans related to affordability, certainly have um, a large immigrant population. So I think there are a number of discrete populations um, that are thought to benefit from having an additional affordable, more affordable option available on the exchange. So it's certainly innovative, I know. and I, I, of course, have the scoop. Um, you are likely the only person on the planet to have been a part of the public option in Nevada and the private option in Arkansas. And, of course, the private option as opposed to the public option um, is allowing uh, Medicaid dollars to go toward the purchase of a private insurance product um, as opposed to the alternative and the public option where you're kind of um, individuals can buy into a public product. Um, So how have the two experiences in terms of the the process differed? Um, And what, if anything, do they share? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And, you know, process-wise, we're kind of on the early end of, of some of this. But I think, you know, they both use qualified health plans. So that's a a commonality. Um, Surprisingly, some of the same groups and individuals are involved. You know, it's really a small world when you um, come down to like uh, these really wonky health policy issues. (laughs) Um, So there would be some familiar faces that have been working uh, around both. And um, so so that's another similarity. A lot of um, 
the same folks that Arkansas worked with are involved in Nevada and other states and trying to um, figure out uh, the best way to implement and make these um, projects a success. Um, And in fact, back to the small world, uh, fellow JD and PHR from uh, the College of Public Health and the law school here um, worked in Minnesota for about a decade in health and human services there and now is working as a, a consultant and has uh, advised the Senate Majority Leader on this legislation. So uh, just it really is kind of a small world when yeah. you get done. Stacey Weeks. The, the, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Medicaid policy world. <laughs> yeah. It's not that big. <laughs> so and then I know uh, clearly you've got a you've got a kind of a long uh, runway, right, right for right. 2026 to get this done. Yeah. And a big difference I, I know that you and I experienced, right? In 2013, when the legislation passed, we were concurrently working on a, a waiver to submit to the federal government and had to have it approved by the end of September. So we had like a six-month right. time frame to get all of the details worked out. And some of them even weren't worked out then. But uh, we kind of, you know, uh, as as Dr. Thompson would say, we were we were landing the plane uh, or we were we were flying the plane as we were building it, right? Right. right. Uh, so, I, I know a major major difference there. So Nevada has put itself on the map with the public option, but uh, tell me about some of the other efforts underway to improve the the Medicaid program there. And and as a corollary to that, um, do you see any opportunities at the federal level that any of of the states, either Nevada, Nevada or or Arkansas, can capitalize on? Sure. So um, some of the other things that we are working on around coverage and access are identifying the remaining uninsured population that is estimated to qualify for coverage from either Medicaid or the exchange. And we know based on a 2019 study that was done that that's about half of the state's uninsured population. So in addition to working on the public option and on a parallel track, we're really trying to better understand that population and do outreach and education and try to to reach them um, to reduce some of the uh, coverage and health disparities issues that exist in the state. Um, Another big area of focus for us in lots of states has been on maternal and child health. And um, we're fortunate this legislative session, and there's actually provisions in the same bill, the public option bill, related to maternal and child health and expanding access to Medicaid coverage for um, lawfully residing pregnant women who haven't been here for um, the five-year waiting period. So that's exciting. Um, Also, some uh, presumptive eligibility for pregnant women uh, legislation passed. So we'll be working to implement that. Some new um, provider types and coverage models, doulas, community health workers. So really excited about all of that. And then kind of, you know, going back to my time in Arkansas, the two big things during the time I was there were um, expansion and the private option, which we both worked on. (laughs) And I know you did a little bit um, of the payment reform work. I didn't do much at all but um, while I was here. But Nevada also has some exciting work going on in terms of health care growth benchmarks and spending. Um, It was actually selected by the Peterson Millbank program to participate in uh, a program to identify some of the big drivers of healthcare spending and set benchmarks for the state. And one of the exciting things in comparisons to Arkansas is that it's not just Medicaid, it's a cross-payer initiative. So really looking forward to that. That's Um, interesting because the the Peterson group is actually working a little bit in Arkansas with some some of the uh, 
some of the providers who participated in uh, some of the patient-centered medical home models, okay. trying to do a demonstration for uh, e-consults here. Mm-hmm. So, so they, much like we said before, right. Medicaid policy folks are kind of, they've got their fingerprints everywhere, and you, you yes. kind of know who's working on what. Right. <laughs> and we're, we're working to establish an all-peers claims database. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So some lessons from Arkansas and you all have been certainly generous with your time, and uh, Kinley Money uh, has had lots of conversations yeah. with us about that. <laughs> so I'm um, excited about all of that. So... Um, I know you had some hairy experiences here in Arkansas before the legislature, as as is always the case with anyone who who has to testify, right? Um, but have you had any of those in in Nevada with the legislature there? Well, this is a great question, <laughs> and I will say that I found Nevada's legislature to be really supportive of healthcare coverage initiatives and Medicaid. Um, so. That's been really welcome and very helpful. Yeah. Um, it's the state's or the nation's first majority female legislature. Oh, it's oh, wow. um, Nevada's a Democratic trifecta. So just um, a lot of significant differences in terms of um, legislative interest, the yeah. levels of support. Um, so I've actually had uh, found it to be really supportive in Nevada. But I would say the hardest experience that I had legislatively in Nevada was around um, last summer's special session. Nevada has uh, definitely a different tax structure and yeah. um, tourism dependent, right, and so right. was incredibly yeah. hit hard by um, the economic fallout associated with COVID and the corresponding drop-offs in um, tourism, which is a big source of revenue in yeah. the state of Nevada. There's not a state income tax. So it was just pretty devastating for the state's budget, and agencies were asked to do um, 12% reduction, and that is hard and oh. a lot of money in a Medicaid budget. And um it's hard to get to that number without including Medicaid as well. And there really aren't many good options um, when it comes to making those yeah. sorts of cuts. So we went through a special session, and one of the options that's usually on the table, and this is interesting just because of the timing of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act and some of CMS's guidance associated with that and the timing of when we first started putting our budget reduction proposals together, um, one of the normal things in the toolbox when you have to make budget reductions is optional services. And this is back to another way that states differ. So um, initially, we'd put forward a proposal that did um, suggest making some reductions to optional services. And those are always hard. And, you know, just the questions about like, prosthetics is an optional service. Um, So that's something that will will stay with me. Um, Pharmacy is an optional service in Medicaid? I know, right? Yes. Um, And so we had that conversation too. Like they're called optional services. They're really necessary. (laughs) And it's going to do harm, but we don't have a lot of other really great viable options. And um, it turned out that that additional guidance I was alluding to said at that time that you couldn't actually make those sorts of services cuts to services and still keep the enhanced federal funding that came out of Families First Coronavirus Response Act, but it's kind of an issue of when you put your budget and when guidance came out. Um, But ultimately, the legislature did not end up making any cuts to optional services, and um, we were working to make provider rate reductions and thought for... Which is the second option, right? You can cut services. Sometimes eligibility, but no one wants to do that in the time of a global health pandemic, Um, and also wasn't actually an option 
and because of the the same federal law and the maintenance of effort requirements. Right, right. Um, but the economy got better. Fast forward many, many months and l- so many hours of staff time trying to implement and make this happen and uh, a great working relationship with CMS. But again, nobody really wants to see provider rate reductions right. either, but we were doing it. We were working on it. We were working to implement it. And thankfully, the economy recovered. Um, and in this session, they rescinded those reductions. We hadn't actually gotten approval from CMS to make the vast majority of those. And so they were going to have to be retroactive. And now that's oh, wow. been stricken. And we are not making those reductions. So you just which... kind of look around the state. You go, my bad, my bad. We're, I mean, we're going to pull we all tried, this back. Yeah. And I mean, I think it was welcome news and everyone <laughs> right. was thrilled. But yeah. it took the economy recovering and there being additional funding. So yeah. Good, yeah. good. So, um have you had a chance to look at Arkansas's new Medicaid expansion uh, waiver? Um, the the Arkansas it's called Arkansas for everybody. It's called Arkansas Health and Opportunity for Me, and it's a new five year waiver. Kind of continues what Suzanne and I worked on um, so so eight years ago or so. Right, right. right. And I I think I would preface this with. You and I have been through this for a long time and understand that it's really hard to get two-thirds of a vote for Medicaid appropriation. And so I've been through earlier iterations of tweaks to the Medicaid expansion program, which in my mind, this is kind of the 2021 version. Um, I would say generally, I think that there are a lot of compromise to... You got to thread the needle, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, this one, I do really wonder what CMS is going to decide. I think that's the biggest question for me. Um, You know, have a new administrator, Chiquita Brooks-Lashur, who has worked on coverage and expanding access to care for a long time, has been very clear in her public statement so far that that is, you know, the strategic priority and what they look to do. So I think it'll it'll be interesting to, to see what happens with the waiver and, you know, certainly in terms of fee-for-service model and the incentives and you go back to fee-for-service and away from the QHPs if you don't participate in these incentives and what is that messaging about fee-for-service versus that and it raises a a much bigger issue about about access right Right. equal access and the differences in payment I mean basically when you think Uh, back to 2013 like all (laughs) of the objective things that we were trying to do promote continuity of care reduce churn um, you know the cost sharing provisions you wonder about those too i think there's pretty established research base that indicates that increasing cost sharing has a negative impact on access so um i think that you know we'll we'll wait and see and it's definitely as always interesting (laughs) and uh you know but again having an appreciation for it on the ground and you have to be pragmatic in politics sometimes to to keep we've been the fly on the wall in those (laughs) negotiations um so my final question, and it's not not anything that have has to do with, um, well, in all seriousness. So, um, thus far in your career, what's your what's your proudest achievement? And then, from a personal standpoint, your proudest achievement or or moment? Yeah. So part of it is I just feel like I've been incredibly lucky. Um, when I was doing my master's here at the College of Public Health, we had this. Um, 
senior capstone or uh, I forget exactly the terminology, but yeah. like a big project yeah. that you had to do. And I was lucky when I was here to get to work with um, Representative Tommy Roebuck, who yeah. was doing an interim study about ways to reduce uninsurance and promote coverage. And so like that's what I was doing <laughs> way back then. And then the ACA happened, which is like, you know, accomplished more along those lines than like yeah. the sort of, um, you know, incremental approaches that we've right. been advocating for up to that time. So extremely exciting to get to work on expansion, which just in terms of numbers of covered lives yeah. and along with the exchange, the ACA has just, you know, certainly been huge and providing additional coverage options for, for Americans. And then, um, you know, just really getting to stay working and in Medicaid and being in this position now and just kind of that through line from like back yeah. when I was in grad school to now you like can't really like predict how these things are going to play out but just feel incredibly fortunate to get to spend my days working on um health insurance coverage and medicaid can get you hooked <laughs> it does it's like it's it's <laughs> back to, to the point of never boring and you're always so busy right. that uh you know I, doing anything else that you always feel a little <laughs> bit like there's not enough happening here so um just feel really fortunate to have gotten to stay in this line of work and i think you know fundamentally these programs are are just so important and make real differences in the yeah. lives of people so. what about personally uh, well, that one's really easy. That's probably the easiest question of this whole show. And that is that I have a 12-year-old son named Jonas. And um, he just brings so much joy to every day. And it's so fun to watch him grow and smart and very funny. Um, so without a doubt, that's yeah. my biggest accomplishment professionally or personally. And I know your family here is probably enjoying him very much seeing him uh, right now right. and I know he's probably enjoying Nevada as much as he enjoyed Arkansas I'm sure yeah so. and he is really funny and uh observations when we landed he <laughs> said mom I think that there is as much grass and as many trees right here as in all of Las Vegas, all of Las Vegas. <laughs> and I was like maybe so he's having a good time that's great well, and enjoying both yeah. But thank you so much for, for joining us on the on the podcast. It's been great to, to talk with you and um, thanks again. Thank you, Craig. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Walks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform the podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.